Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to April's Outside the Box. Is it April? Am I right? Who it knows? is April. I'm joined by Jen. Hello. And Mick. Hi. Mick's uh, Wi-Fi is a bit dodgy, so I don't know whether she's leaving spectacularly long pauses for dramatic <laughs> effect or whether she is frozen. So we're just going to have to see if that happens as we go along. I've reached that point in lockdown where I've started to glitch. I think we're all glitching a little bit now, to be fair. So we're here to talk about the TV that we've watched, but I've got a confession in that I've been having a bit of a struggle to watch TV recently. How about you guys? Concentration's a bit of a bitch at the moment, isn't it? Watching TV is like the only thing I can concentrate on, to be honest. I can't read for shit. I can't be doing with films, they're too long. I feel like they require too much investment. So TV is kind of, I'm I'm coping with TV all right. The irony is I, I've got more time to watch TV, well, but I've just not been very enthused. Um, I don't know why. And, and of course, I love TV, so it's very odd to me. There's been like a catalogue of terrible news, as in basically nothing is filming anywhere, anywhere in the world. Obviously, that started with the BBC pulling a lot of their regular shows like EastEnders because obviously you can't film during coronavirus and not to bitch and moan at all because it is a very small speck on the scale that the world is dealing with. I find it particularly upsetting when there are things that were already being filmed and nearly finished that have been pulled because you know now it's going to be a really long time till you see that stuff again. For example, series four of Unforgotten was being filmed In fact, it was being filmed on location in Cambridge um, and has been now stopped. Obviously, very sensible. Also, Succession was very close to being finished and has now been pulled. So, sad face. I Um, was thinking the other day, what about... Because I think they were filming... I think they went straight into filming the second series of his Dark Materials trilogy. So, it would be The Subtle Knife is the corresponding book. What do they do about that? Because they they sort of rushed into that because obviously the kids will yeah. grow quite quickly. Mm. What what do you do? Just hope they don't grow well, too although, much. Although that did happen in Game of Thrones, didn't it? There are a couple of times that the series um, had more than a year's break. So, um, yeah, the children did age quite dramatically. It's a continuity person's nightmare. It really yeah. is. I think, I think they just have to accept it. Um, so, but I have managed to watch some stuff, obviously, including the O.J. Simpson documentary again yep. because it was on. Yeah, watch that. But it is, it is now not on uh, again. So, talking of documentaries, I thought I might start with the documentary that literally has sent the world mad in the last month since we've been in lockdown, which is Tiger King which is on Netflix, and I feel I shouldn't even really have to explain what the plot is to anyone because it does feel like 99% of the earth has watched it right now. But what I would say is I genuinely think this, when we write a list of the amount of the, the people that have done well or the things that have done well because of coronavirus, you know, Joe Wicks, Zoom, <laughs> toilet paper manufacturers. What a heady um, list. The, yeah, the makers of Tiger King are going to be on it because 
it's not it's actually not a good documentary by any standards of how you gauge a documentary i have to say it's not especially well made and yet it was released at exactly the right time i can think of loads of documentaries that were made last year say something like flint town or murder mountain that would have been way better use of everyone's time of everyone just going oh i'm bored what's on netflix but I think it also is because it has an element of it's really trashy. Mm. It's really, really trashy and people love trash, don't they? It enables people to gossip almost on online when they're talking about it and speculate. But it's basically about the Venn diagram of people who keep big cats and people who are worthless fuckers have a really, really <laughs> wide overcross, I would say. You love a Venn diagram, Mick. Um, I do, I do. If only you'd not glitched halfway through so it just looked like you were giving yourself little ears. <laughs> it's virtually a perfect circle. That uh, It's just a terrible group of people. Yes, if you want to watch something that enables you to look at people and go, oh, God, look what horrible people all these people are, then have at it. But I hated it because there are way, way bigger issues underlying this, such as... The grooming of teenage boys to be sexual partners, the grooming of young women, and possibly, I would say, even level of sex enslavement of young women. And that's before we've even got to the issue of animal welfare, which this documentary doesn't even appear to give a fuck about, I'm going to say. It doesn't actually particularly appear to care. It appears to care about the animals in as much as they are extras in the story, rather than they are central to the story and I find it quite upsetting nobody in this is a nice person in fact the only people I have any sympathy for it's only on a level that you think oh they've been really naive or you know they've got addiction problems so you feel sorry for them on that level because maybe they didn't have the sense to know better but anyone who's involved in this world is just horrible just horrible people talking shit about other horrible people yeah i watched one episode of it and it didn't hold my attention at all i have to say i've only heard people going like fuck this is crazy you have to watch it and um they yeah they just all seemed unpleasant and um i didn't care about any of them and I'd, i'd yeah i just wasn't really interested to be honest it just it didn't hold my attention i don't think it helped that i watched it directly after I'd finished re-watching the O.J. Simpson documentary, which is probably the best documentary ever. It's like eating a shop cake and then a cake I made. That's with my broken oven. Do you remember cake soup? <laughs> I actually think that there would be a much more dramatic analogy than that somewhere. <laughs> the disparity between the two. <laughs> was, oh, yeah, was actually, so... to be fair, because Joan did eat the cake soup. <laughs> So somebody likes it. Uh, I refuse to add to the algorithm, but and I love me a tiger, but I did a lot of reading around it because I'd seen it had set the internet alight. And there was a really interesting piece about misogyny and the fact that the person who comes out of this as the hero is Joe Exotic, who sounds like a fucking terrible human being. Yeah. And Carol Baskin is getting all this shit and the internet has very much jumped on that You've... with memes and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Even though he clearly has done, like, provably bad things, whereas hers is just a, did it happen? Well, yeah. I, so there's a bit in the first episode. Like in the first episode, 
he goes out with some mates and he's got like a sort of blow up doll or something or a mannequin or something that he calls Carol that he gets out of his van and he like sticks you know in various locations and then they all just they all shoot it with massive guns and I I saw that and I was just like is this is really it's revolting. the most horribly toxically like masculine thing it's about guns and drugs and and like I say it's just trash I mean yeah. personally I find Carol unnerving because she laughs after literally everything she says and I, I just find that unnerving as a, as a personality trait but yeah <laughs> oh sorry um... <laughs> yeah, Mickey is correct there is no evidence other than speculation that she killed her husband and yet, what she's being accused of and yet isn't there an entire episode dedicated to the cold case uh, like, yeah. it feels like Netflix has colluded or the documentary makers have colluded in his um, his idea of what she's done and sort of let him get away with a lot of stuff um, like to put it yeah. bluntly if, if Joe, I know I'm not Joe Exotic's type but if he'd showed up on Tinder with his profile of him and a tiger I'd have been no thanks, move on the one thing I can say about it is all documentaries need to pose and at least attempt to answer a question and this documentary does it maybe accidentally. And that question is, what sort of person wants to keep a tiger? And I don't think that's the question it poses, but it is the question it answers. And the answer is, cunts. Well, I also like crazy people, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, in, in Carol's defence, she seems to think that she's saving them. Yeah. And I'm not calling her... I can't, but almost every man involved in this treats women like shit. But of course they do because they treat their animals like shit, and it's all wrapped up in that thing about possessions, isn't it? Yeah. Whose possession yeah. is this? I think, like, as much as they, uh, like, they all seem very unpleasant, it does all feel very exploitative as well. It doesn't feel yeah. like there's, like you say, that it doesn't feel like there's any kind of deeper meaning to it, or what. It just feels like putting these fucking nutters, frankly, out there to be kind of like, I don't know, like a freak show, consumed. I guess I, yeah. I think I think having that level of misogyny, and obviously I have to I have to say I haven't seen it, but I have read around it, and from what Hannah and Jen have just said. Having that level of misogyny running through something and not commenting on it is really fucking dangerous. Mm. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. But like I say, in the same way, um, looking at animal rights as a level of, oh, but they may have killed some baby tigers, seems like exactly the sort of thing that makes people go, oh, bubble to go and hold a baby tiger. Like, it's all part of the same circle. Does that make sense? Hmm. Like, I've held a baby yeah. leopard. It's, it's, it's not about baby tigers. Sorry. It's about all fucking animals. It's about even the ugly ones that you go, ooh, what's that? <laughs> like, what? Exactly. It's not to do with cute baby tigers. It's to do with animal welfare. And this doesn't... Yeah, I didn't like it. Which makes me, I think, almost unique in the Twitterverse. But there you have it. Okay, let's get off that and talk about something else that's on Netflix that... Mickey and I have both watched. Oddly, I recommended it to Jen because I thought she'd be the one. I forgot. It would be down her alley, but it was Mick and I that ended up watching it, which is The English Game. 
um, which is Julian Fellows, which I didn't know until I Googled it. I thought, who did write this? And it's Julian Fellows who, you know, Gosford Park, Downton Abbey, that sort of thing. Belgravia, most recently. Have you seen any of that? I've seen Gosford Park, the film, but no. No, I mean, have you seen any of Belgravia? No, I've heard it's very bad, though. Very bad. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I'm not particularly a fan, but I've watched at least two episodes before I Googled it and found out it was Julian Fellows. Basically, I watched it because it's got Craig Parkinson in it, and we love Craig Parkinson. He has a magnificent beard in this. It is absolutely... It explains why he had that beard for so long in all those photographs, because for ages I was like, God, he's grown a great beard, but now I know why, because he was obviously making that. It's a sort of fictionalised but partly true retelling of the early days of football uh, in particular uh, when working class teams started to enter the world of football because for such a long time it had just been like the Harrovians and the Etonians and the posh boys. Like any half decent sports film or book or whatever it's not actually about sport at all it's about you know what sport can tell us about the world and so it's about end of the victorian period and class struggles that that, which is what julian fellows does all the time to be honest is the the contrast between the working class and the upper classes I'm going to be 100% honest and say I don't know if I like it or not. I'll tell you why I like watching it, because it's so far away, and I think that might be my problem with TV at the minute. If I watch something contemporary and I watch people outside hugging and stuff like that, it weirds me out a bit. So it serves its purpose currently for me. What are you making of it, Mick? Every time I watch an episode, I wonder why I'm watching another episode. Um, that's That's my feeling on it at the moment. It's... It's kind of lovely background. I've got to say, and maybe this is favouritism, I think Parkinson is cracking in it. He plays yeah. He plays a northern mill owner absolutely brilliantly. Uh, I, think, I think I just wish that Julian Fellows had actually been to the north. It just doesn't feel like he's ever been to the north. And as a northerner, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting stereotype he's got of us. But also, it is also quite comforting to see my north because it's filmed a lot it's, where it's I used like to live Hovis around the, that bit of Yorkshire. There's lots of stuff in Saltaire and in Bradford in Little Germany, which is where obviously Sally Wayne might film Gentleman Jack. So, you know, you guys have wandered those streets as well. Um, I, I find the central character, Fergus, played by Kevin Guthrie, a bit two notes. And those those notes are number one, instant fury and number two sad boy in a painting and he just <laughs> he just oh sad painting confused but sad painting there there is that that's what he does yeah it's kind of nice to be in that sepia tinted world which i think is what you were saying as well hannah no i agree i'd recommend it to and i don't i don't mean this in a way that i want to sound like like she's any less discriminating of a human being because she's old but I will recommend that my mother watch it because, you know, she'll be on safe ground because she likes Downton Abbey. So, you know, it'll be on safe ground for her. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that my brother watch it. That's... I certainly wouldn't recommend that someone who likes football and is missing football watch it thinking they're going to get a fix <laughs> because okay. they're basically playing in 
obviously it's of the time they're playing in massive boots and hilarious outfits they're really they're really quite yeah. amusing i like them i like the etonians i like the the jump that that look that they're sporting yeah i don't know I, why i like the half mast trousers of um darwin yeah. and bradford no not bradford sorry blackburn I said to Gary, I'm like, is this, are they playing really terrible football? And Gary was like, yeah, it's it's awful. <laughs> so yeah, don't go in there thinking, oh, I've got, not got match of the day. I'm going to watch this instead because you'll be sorely disappointed. And there is enough disappointment and sadness in the world right now anyway. But you mentioning Sally Wainwright earlier, what I will say is it has got a load of faces that you probably won't know the names of them. I do, but there's no point me telling you them. And people that have been in Sally Wainwright stuff, Paul Abbott stuff, it has your normal repartee of Northern Ian from Shameless, he's in there. Yeah. Jen, tell me something that you've watched. Okay, um, where shall I start? I have watched a thing called The Nest on BBC. It's on BBC One on a Sunday evening. And it's basically about a couple. Um, it's got Martin Compson. Compson, yeah. Yeah. Who is... I already knew he was Scottish because I had looked him up previously. But if you did not know that, it would come as a bit of a shock to you to hear him in like broad Glaswegian. It does open the question of why... Why they, is he an Essex boy in why Line is of he, Duty? Why is he an Essex boy in Line of Duty? I don't understand it. I don't understand why he doesn't have his normal accent. Because everybody else is allowed to carry their regional accent. Yeah. Like, Dot was allowed to be from Blackpool. Adrian Dunbar's allowed to be from uh, from Belfast. So I don't really understand. But anyway, carry on. Yeah. Um, but also, it made me realise, like, actually, his like Essex boy accent is really good. Um, he, he carries it off ever so well. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the nest. Basically about a couple who are trying to have a baby, but they can't have a baby. It has got also in it um, a bunch of people who I don't really recognise many of them, to be honest. Uh, Sophie Rundle plays his missus, Emily, uh, Mirren Mack. Sophie Rundle's in Gentleman Jack, isn't she? Oh, yeah, she? she's um, Jack's missus, isn't she? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's also got someone called Mirren Mack playing Kaya, who's sort of like the... So basically, I think she must be a newcomer. She plays... So it's about a couple who are trying to have a baby and they can't have a baby, and there's a situation, and Emily, who is the, the woman in, in the couple sort of gets thrown into the path of this young girl called Kaya who she has to take to hospital and through like very long-winded kind of situation learns that Emily and Dan that's Martin Compton can't have a baby of their own and they're trying to get someone to be a surrogate for them at first I was a bit like well this is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? As I often think about a lot of things. But actually, it's kind of drawn me in. I think the the acting's quite good. It's quite compelling viewing. There's a lot of suspense. A lot of the characters are quite likeable, which always helps, or, or relatable. Yeah, I think it's all right, basically. Great. Um, okay. Absolutely, absolutely great praise from Jenna. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, should I, like have been more, should I have been more effusive? I liked it. Oh, no, effusive. I think that's all we've got right now, Jen, is, is that level of, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. 
I'd, I'd say it's more than all right. I'm enjoying watching it. There you go. I'm looking forward to the next episode. There you go. That's Calm perfect. yourself down, Jen. Okay. Calm yourself. Okay, I'm going to say one thing before we go for a break, and that is that Martin Compton's finest hour still remains him playing Midjure in the Live Aid episode of Urban Myths, which is on Sky, and if anyone is bored, go and watch that. It's written by Ralph Little, and it is very, very funny. Okay, welcome back to Outside the Box. I've only got one thing left that I want to talk about, but it's not especially recent. It's something that was happened at the arse end of last year, and I've only had just had time to catch up with. So if anybody else has watched something more recent, Mickey, you have watched In My Skin? I have watched In My Skin, uh, which is on BBC Three, so you can either binge it on the iPlayer, which is what I did, Oh, it's also currently being shown an episode a week, like in the olden days, on BBC One. Um, shall I? Shall I just natter about it? Yeah. All right. Natter away. <laughs> it's a five-part comedy drama, or dramedy, or sadcom, or whatever your chosen term is, and it's by Kaylee Llewellyn. Uh, we're hanging out with Bethan, a 16-year-old Welsh lass who's trying to be a normal teenager and actually doing a pretty good job at convincing everyone around her that she is a normal teenager when actually she's a carer for her bipolar mum, Trina, and Trina gets sectioned in the first episode. And a lot of that involves protecting Trina from her abusive alcoholic also lover dad, Dill. And heavy as that might sound, I promise you it has got a glut of moments that will make you honk like a goose. This is equal parts heart-rending, gut-punching and piss-funny and I cannot recommend it enough. The acting is superb across the board, but Gabrielle Creevy as Bethan and Joe Hartley as Trina will full-on rip your heart out. And I think that's what we all need right now, is, is a bit more heartache <laughs> and a lot more laughter. You interviewed Kaylee Llewellyn in this week's podcast, yes, if people haven't I, heard that I yet. did. I did, and she's so brilliant that it's really, really good that we had to do it over the phone or I probably would have licked her out of appreciation for her work. Is it a merman? No, it's not merman. It sounds really merman's doesn't it? It's all Welsh. Possibly it's grittier than merman. It's it's very kitchen sink. It's sort of Mike Lee in its darker moments, a bit Bleasdale. But it's, it's Welsh. The pilot was actually 2018. Then they made the pilot, and the pilot won a couple of Welsh BAFTAs. It's really, really fucking good. That's a good recommendation. That's more enthusiasm than Jen and I have managed to muster <laughs> so far for anything. But You're welcome. at that point, I might stop and talk about something else that's quite dark, but also just absolutely fucking wonderful, which is Upright. Seconded. Which Tim Minchin's six-part? Eight-part. Eight-part, part. yeah, eight-part. Eight-part series currently on sky atlantic not currently on as in it will you will still find it it was on sky atlantic you will still find it on sky go or now tv if you get that sort of thing and it is absolutely 100 percent worth a watch who knew that tim minchin could be such a great actor he's, i mean not fantastic. no offense to him but but given he's not done it before i i thought he was absolutely brilliant i think it's incredibly well written and given how absolutely tremendous he is on the piano 
what I will say is he's quite restrained. He only goes to the piano about three times, and every time is amazing. So the plot is, and like all truly great stuff, when you boil it down to its premise, it sounds like a massive cliche. Tim Binchin is a former, well, a musician, but who had some success in the 90s. Um, but now has fallen on, I wouldn't say necessarily hard times, but isn't doing so well for himself uh, professionally or as a human being, who is attempting to get an upright piano, uh, hence the name upright, but also it works on a lot of other levels, across Australia to visit his mum, who is not well. Obviously, it's a lot more complex than that, but it reveals itself really slowly, this story, it starts with a bang and an absolute literal bang. It starts with him um, having a car accident and crashing into a 16-year-old girl or a 16-year-old girl crashes into him and he has to take her to a hospital. And then, again, more stuff about her becomes revealed and they end up on what I can only describe as a sort of Odyssey, you know that 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 great tradition that the that the Cohen brothers love that you know that great sort of man on a journey that bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia type journey of it doesn't matter what happens to you all that matters is the end the end point you've just got to keep going he has to get this piano to where he thinks he's going and it's completely wonderful it's really funny it's really touching. It's got some great Australian character actors pop up in it. It's got some ludicrous situations that, having been in the middle of Australia, they don't seem quite as exaggerated, perhaps, as people think they might be. There are some crazy people who live right out in the middle of Australia, and they encounter a lot of them in this. The young woman who is in it with him, Millie Alcock, who is not actually as young... Who's not actually... Obviously, as young as the person she's playing, but not considerably older. I think she was only about 18 when she made it. It's absolute, like, just a revelation. She's, she's phenomenal. And what I really love about it is it doesn't make... It's such a cliche that there's this, this guy who's really self-involved and it's all about him and all of that. And it doesn't try to make him a hero. He just is who he is as a person. And he... Like that whole, you know, that's so typical of the stand-up comedian of of that age who sort of sees himself as, you know, on this great odyssey. And it's not like that. He is riddled with flaws, but you're not expecting him. It doesn't ask you to like him. I did like him, but it didn't ask me to like him. You know, mm-hmm. he grew on me as as a personality. And also, their relationship is so spot on, so unbelievably spot on. There's nothing, nothing even vaguely, like, sexual in it at all. There's no kind of element of, you know, oh, if you were a few years older or, like, any of that stuff. Also, it avoids really well him becoming a father figure to her because it's not that either. And it's very clear that it's, in fact, he at one point says, I don't, I'm not your dad. I'm not trying to look after you. It's, it's an odd friendship between two people who, in an ordinary circumstances, would never have been friends, but literally crashed into each other on a road somewhere and then were forced to be in it together. She keeps calling them a gang, and he's like, two people's not enough for a gang. But in lockdown UK, two people is enough <laughs> for a gang. We've learned that now. 
Uh, you loved it too, Mick, yeah. I did, I did. I think as good as Tim Minchin is, and he is absolutely superb, Millie Alcock is just magnificent. She totally stole yeah. the show for me. It's got yeah. bags of heart, it's got bags of soul, it's got loads of laughs. I, my, in my notes, it says, it's kind of a blend of a B-road movie, an unlikely buddy movie, and a man-child forced to grow up movie. And I keep yeah. saying movie because it's really filmic with these glorious yeah. sweeping shots yeah, of Australia, really. yeah. which look as empty as my Wide street on lockdown. Yeah. yeah. They're not even on lockdown. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I just loved it. We, I think we watched it in three, <laughs> three days. Uh, and yeah, it's glorious and really touching, but never, ever heavy handed. No. I mean, there are some, like I say, some gloriously touching moments there's a scene where he's playing the piano in the final scene and it's it's beautiful and he he does such an excellently understated job i think that's that's what impresses me about his acting because like like you say she's brilliant she is absolutely brilliant but he when people don't act i think they sometimes like or they haven't acted much before they sometimes go in with this really big it's really big and it's not big it's quite small it's quite contained, his performance. He doesn't go for the big sort of, you know, flood of tears. He's managed to learn that maybe two tears is better than a flood of tears, which I think it takes a lot of people, actors, a long time to learn. Um, and he seems to have got it, or whoever directed it has directed it brilliantly and told him to keep it quite small um, and quite contained. And, you know, when she is reunited with someone in the last scene... That is also done very well. There's no idea like that, that, that sometimes creates this false idea that she's now part of his family, that they're going to be friends forever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is that they were briefly together and it was, you know, maybe in 10 years' time he'll tell a story about, about a girl he met on the road and that's what it is. Yeah, I loved it. Jen, what else have you been watching? I have also watched, also on the BBC, Trigonometry going to have to look it's this what Becky Humps well. was talking to us about when she came yes, in wasn't it yes she is indeed on it or in it let's call her Rebecca Humphreys for the sake of uh, people who don't know who we're talking about is it Gary Carr from the Deuce it is yes yeah so it is him and it is a very ridiculously beautiful French slash Greek woman uh, called Ariane Labed and a woman called Thalissa, goodness me, how do you think we say this? Thalissa Texera. Basically, it's about a couple who are, they have, they have fallen on hard times and they have to take in a lodger, which is Ariane Labed. And basically, they sort of all fall in love with each other. Is, is Ariane Labed Greek for, can I get into your bed? She, so basically, yeah, so she moves in with them and they all sort of get shacked up together. And so the main couple, Gary Carr and Thalissa Texera, are supposed to be getting married. In fact, they do get married. And on their wedding night, the sort of bubbling tension of this, like whatever the fuck has been brewing between the three of them, comes to a head and they all start nobbing. And um, it's quite it's certainly like... what I'm hoping for come August. Yeah, well, babe, play say. your cards right. You know, <laughs> we're both say, single. I, I might put that dress on for your wedding. <laughs> oh wowzers! Oh wowzers! Please let lockdown continue. Uh... So, so basically, <laughs> it's it's quite interesting. It is quite interesting because um, I I have 
opinions about polyamorous relationships that are, I don't know, probably belie a certain ignorance on my part, so I, I probably won't go into them now because I imagine there are lots of reasons why people embark on polyamorous relationships that are nothing to do with men just wanting to put their penis in more people. I'm um, sure, sure, Jen. Let's go with okay. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there are lots of reasons for being in polyamorous relationships other than that. But it is kind of where my mind automatically goes to, shall we say? I, and I don't know if that's just me being very small-minded or if lots of people feel the same way. She says, looking hopefully at her at her colleagues. They're both nodding listener excellent um, for a podcast one day guys one day <laughs> so it is it's quite interesting because you know obviously events unfold and things happen and it leads you to a place in the end where you kind of think well the the obvious answer to this is that they're all gonna go well that was nice but ultimately unworkable wasn't it <laughs> let's let's be honest it didn't really work when two of us are married and you know, there's someone else involved. And it doesn't take you there. And actually, it's quite nice that it doesn't take you there. It, it, it sort of gave me an alternate view of polyamorous relationships that I might not otherwise have had. And I thought it was... Yeah, it was... <laughs> I don't, The one thing I would say was that if that doesn't sound sort of a bit ridiculous enough for you, because... I don't know. It's not it's not the norm, is it, a polyamorous relationship? It's not like everyone is doing that. So it, it, so the premise itself is a bit sort of like woo-woo from the outset. Mm. But then what they make... The, the Ariane Lebed, the sort of, um, I don't know, the interloper or, or whatever, the third wheel, I don't know. The unicorn... Spare cunt. <laughs> <laughs> the unicorn is the expression they use in the in the program and for reasons that I can't really remember. But um so when she sort of comes to them, when she finds them, she is a retired synchronized swimmer. That is the job they've given her. She's a retired <laughs> synchronized swimmer. And for me, I'm just like at that point I'm kind of like, why couldn't you just have made her an accountant or something? Flexible and likes getting wet. It sounds like she's primed for the job. Why, yeah. Like, why couldn't she just have worked in PR or something? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, why? You've made, you've kind of lost me a bit on the synchronized swimmer. It just seems a bit of an unnecessary plot thing. Yeah. I mean, she does, you know, swim a bit in it, I guess. So maybe, but she could have just been a swimming teacher. Anyway, I'm not going to get bogged down in that. But in, having seen that and thought, I'm going to think this is fucking silly, I didn't. I quite liked it. Straight to the municipal pool. Make sure yeah, you wear your Veruca socks. Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box.